You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Oh, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, please take your Bibles and go to John chapter 14. And today we start a new series on heaven. And so thankful for everyone who's serving and sacrificing to make three services happen. And so I'll go ahead and say, if you can come to the 1130 next week, that'd be great. Um, there's a sum room available in the 8.30. And if you can, try to scoot towards the middle because I know we've got some people standing in the back and there might be some in the foyer. So if you're able to scoot towards the middle, great. And yeah, scoot towards the middle. Squanch, squinch, whatever word we want to use there. Go for it. As we think about our, our, the series on heaven, I'm really struck by how often, how often the Bible speaks of eternity and how often we don't. And a lot of times because we just don't know. What, what is it really going to be like? What will we do in eternity? What will heaven be like? What happens when we die? What will the new earth be like? Will we have pets? Can I have a pet dinosaur? Will we know each other? Can we fish and hunt? Will there be death? Will we play football? Will we recognize each other? I, I think the Bible gives us answers to all of those questions and, and then more. But the first thing that we must address about heaven and eternity in the new earth is really how do we get there? So in John 14, and we know that Paul tells us a lot about heaven, so does Peter and the Apostle John here and Jesus really lay out for us, I think, a great picture of what heaven and eternity and the new earth really will be like. And as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together in honor of the reading of the Word of God. And we'll begin in verse 1. And we hear from Jesus by the Holy Spirit, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now. By your great mercy and kindness, would you allow your words to get into our minds, get into our hearts and change the way we view not only this world, but view eternity and view the things here today. So help us and meet us now, King Jesus, and may you be magnified and glorified among us. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the other night, ABC World News did a really important report. I don't know if you saw it or not. Really, they were telling the nation about something that most of us maybe already know, the seriousness of what they covered. ABC News uh, World did cover the unparalleled spectacle that is the bathrooms at Bucky's. <laughs> if you've been to Bucky's, you know an ABC 
raved about the cleanliness of the bathrooms and forming the nation about how amazing Bucky's is. And really, it's not only the bathrooms. And the whole place is an experience. I remember when Josh Rice, who was a member here, and he had moved from another state, and now they've, they've moved to Oregon. But when he moved here and we went on this road trip, he had never heard of Bucky's. So we took him, and he was blown away. He could not believe that this was real, that there was a place such as this prepared for him, that you've got fresh fudge and beef jerky and deer feed and Yeti coolers all existing in this one place, that Bucky's is rest stop and reward. And, and I love that when you go on a long trip, because we all know what random gas station bathrooms can be like. That's why Bucky's feels like streets of gold sometimes. And I love that, especially going down 45 when you're coming from Dallas. Um, and there's this one billboard. It says, Bucky's, 175 miles. You can hold it. <laughs> I read that and go, mm, yeah, okay, I can, I can. I'll wait. I look forward to Bucky's every road trip, and so do the kids. We get in the car. We're only 10 minutes down, 249, and they're already asking, are we going to Bucky's? Whoever would have thought that something so unexciting as a gas station would become so exciting to us? would create such eager expectation as we hit the road. You know, my prayer for this series is that we as sojourners on this world, that our excitement for eternity, our eager expectation for eternity would grow daily. It would, would excite us even more than the things of this world. And for some reason, we don't think a lot about eternity. Some of us are unsure of what's going to happen when we die. What will it be like? What will we do in heaven? Will I be playing the harp in some eternal worship service? And let's just be honest all together right now that the idea of an eternal worship service sounds infinitely boring to us. You can admit that. I know it feels weird. Can I say that? Can I say that an infinite worship service sounds boring to me? Listen, I know you get bored in our 15 worship service sometimes, and I do too sometimes. We're imperfect, broken human beings. So listen, I can guarantee you Eternity is not going to be an infinite, eternal worship service. Eternity will be eternal worship, but it will not just be done in some building where we sing. And this really shows us our view of worship. We have forgotten that worship isn't just the songs we sing and the sermons we hear, but the lives we live unto the glory of God. That whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all unto the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10.31. And that in the, in the new heavens and in the new earth, we will live out that verse perfectly, whether we are eating the marriage supper of the lamb and we are drinking the fresh wine that he has prepared for us in eternity, or whether we are just skipping rocks across the great lakes and that river of life. It will all be unto the glory. That will be worshipful. And it will all be unto the glory of God. This is how we must think about eternity. We won't just be floating around singing. We'll be worshiping him in life. All of life is to the glory of God. Jesus is preparing this place for us, a place to live, a place to live, not just a place to sing. This is why Jesus says, in my father's house. Jesus is making us a home. Heaven is really a place to live. Heaven is a home. Look at verse one. Jesus says, to his disciples and to us today, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So Jesus meets us right in the middle of lives on this earth. There are many things that can trouble us. 
Many things that can put a kink in our hearts and kind of crimp the hose of our joy. From hurricanes to presidential races to economic conditions to parenting to jobs. And we go on and on and on about all the things of this earth that can trouble our hearts. And so how does Jesus address this? Let not your hearts be troubled. He says, here's how. Believe in God. Believe everything he, he has said. Believe, look at the insight Jesus gives us here. Believe in God and believe also in me. What a radical thing for a man to say. Believe in God, believe in me. Your view of Jesus, these categories are massive. Believe in me. So when we look to him, we aren't looking at some second-rate bargain basket version of God. Believing in Jesus and trusting in Jesus in the midst of life is to trust in God because he is God. So looking to him does not shortchange us. It is to stare God in the face. What Jesus is saying here in verse one is that he is the stabilizing force of our lives. That when our hearts are troubled, there is a divine shock mount we can look to and put into our hearts and it's Christ himself. And then look at what he says next. What else should trouble-proof our hearts? Eternity. So believe in God, believe also in me. Now verse two, here's the other reason your heart should not be troubled, that in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So the Father's house is the next reason. Many rooms. And that he is preparing a place for us. The metaphor that Jesus uses here is God's house. Is, is, heaven is like this massive house. And you've got a place there. I'm preparing a place for you to live. Notice this is significant that he says this. In my father's house. He didn't say, I'm preparing a place for you to float around in a toga and sing psalms and hymns in Latin, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. No, I'm preparing a place for you to live. A place to live. This is heaven. This is the new earth. Because to be in the presence of God is to live to the fullest. It's personal and it's inviting. It's, it's home. When you bring someone into your home, it's safe. You're welcoming in. They're on your couch. They're eating your food. This means they're in. If they give you a room in the house, it's family. This is why when strangers come to the door that we don't know and they're trying to sell something, we just kind of creak the door open and say, oh, we're busy. Oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah, I don't need any magazines. I'm good. Okay, bye. You shut the door. But to bring someone in, it's home. And look at verse 3. Jesus says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus says, I'm preparing this place. I'm doing it. Your great God and Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, he is intimately and personally involved in your eternity. Jesus is our community organizer, our city planner, our heavenly master planner, working out our heavenly home. And look what he says, and I will come again. You're telling them he's leaving and we know he left. He ascended back to the Father, but I am coming again and will take you to myself. Listen to what he said. I will take you to myself. 
So he's coming back and he will take us, but you see the final destination. He doesn't say, and I will take you to heaven. He doesn't say, I will take you to the throne room, but I will take you to myself. Beloved, heaven, heaven isn't heaven because of where it is. It's heaven because God is there. This is why Jesus says, I'm bringing you to me, because we know that one day the Lord will descend and those who are alive will meet him in the air. And we will not go to heaven. Heaven will come to earth and we will live on the new earth forever with him. Some of us, if we die before the Lord returns, we will go to him wherever he is. And wherever he is, he's in heaven right now. But one day he will be on earth, on a throne, reigning and ruling forever. This is why Jesus says, I'm bringing you to me. The goal of the gospel is for us to be with God. That is heaven. And this heaven will be the new earth, and he is coming to get us. This is the return of the king. The, all the dead rising, our resurrection, us getting new bodies, and judgment day occurring. But right now, as Paul tells us, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and look what's going to happen when he returns, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And we're going to get into this more in the coming weeks, that what happens when Jesus comes back, and when will he come back, and what will the resurrection be like? But remember what Jesus says, I'm bringing you to myself. These glorious bodies, this new reality. That, and he says, look at verse 3 again. That where I am, you may be also. We are co-heirs with Christ. Whatever the Father gives to Jesus, whatever eternal privileges the Father gives to Jesus and enjoyments, they are ours too. We get to enjoy it along with him. When Jesus is finally the uncontested, undisputed, heavyweight ruler of the universe, we will reign next to him, enjoying the universe with him. Heaven is a home with God as our father and Jesus as our brother. So how do we get this? How do we get to heaven? How do we get the new earth? Look at verse 4. Jesus continues and says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? So Jesus tells them, you know where I'm going. You know the way, guys. And Thomas, brave Thomas, says, um, quietly, I just imagine among the disciples, Thomas leans in and says, Lord, um, we don't know the way. Don't you love that he says we, even though he's the only one that's talking? I'm sure Peter's thinking, whoa, 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 I, I know, Lord. You know I know. <laughs> but listen now, I can't think of anything more important today than what Jesus is about to say. Jesus tells us how the gift of heaven is ours, how the gift of eternal life is ours, how the gift of the new earth is ours. So how do we get it? It's verse 6. Jesus brings us home. Look at verse 6. Jesus said to him, you want to know the way, Thomas? You want to know the way, church? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how do we get to the Father's house with many rooms? 
How do we get to the new earth? How do we get these lowly bodies transformed into glorious bodies just like King Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth, the eternal son of God, says, I am the only way to the Father's house with many rooms. He is the only way to God's gift of eternity with God. There is no other way. That way of Calvary dripping with his blood, paying for our sins, he's prepared that way for us, that truth in his life for ours. The nail marks in his hands and feet and the scar in his side, Jesus prepared that way for us. The empty tomb with neatly folded grave clothes, him rising again from the dead, Jesus prepares the way for us. And his resurrected and glorified death-proof body, never to die again, Jesus prepares the way for us. Jesus is the only way our citizenship papers get changed from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. And he is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life. The only way to heaven is by faith in Jesus. As Jesus says in the most famous verse in the Bible, in John chapter 3, the apostle John tells us that Jesus said, for God so loved the world in this way. And I know you've probably heard this verse and you haven't. This verse can change your life. God so loved the world in, in this way that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Believe in him. Being a good person doesn't get you into heaven. We have to be so clear about this. I saw a recent survey that there are still a vast majority of people who would even say that they have Christian beliefs who say that their good works are the reason why they're going to be saved. If that is you today, hear me, that will not save you. Doing a lot of good things doesn't get you into heaven. According to Jesus, there is one way, and he has prepared that way for you. He's prepared the place for you. By faith in him and him alone. That, so what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? That Jesus is who the Bible says he is. That he is the eternal son of God. God himself, worthy of worship. That he also is man. He was born of Mary, raised in Galilee, lived a sinless life. That he really was nailed to a cross according to the plan of God. To pay for the price of sinners to be punished in their place and to have the wrath of God poured out on him and to rise again from the dead, granting salvation and forgiveness to anyone and everyone who would look to him and believe and putting their trust and their eternal confidence in a man who refused to stay a corpse. This is what it means to believe in him. Have you done that? John the Baptist later in this chapter says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You have it already. It's already yours. Your passport is ready. Your papers have been changed. Your ticket has been purchased and you are on your way into eternal life and you are experiencing eternal life even now as you know your great God and Savior. But he continues, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 
You notice how he starts with whoever believes has eternal life and whoever does not obey the son. What's the difference? Why, why does he speak this way? One, he says, believe and one, obey. What's up with that? Because to obey the son is to believe the son. That's why Jesus says, whoever loves me obeys my commandments. And what does the son say? The son says, come to me. This is not just a suggestion when he says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me and I will give you rest. It is a command, a gentle inviting command. Come to me and I will give you rest. Whoever believes has life. Whoever does not believe, the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God. We cannot speak of heaven without remembering and knowing there is hell. Hell isn't something we talk about very often. The wrath of God remaining. And understandably so, it's terrifying. It's described all throughout the scriptures in many ways, but as destruction, eternal torment, fire that never dies, but also complete darkness, communicating it's so awful and horrible and even defies our own idea of physics and logic that this occurs. Weeping and awful noises. This is one of the worst realities in the universe, but we must talk about it. And I know that in our day, we, we've shied away from talking about hell, most of us, because we don't want to be the turn or burn people from the 80s and 90s or 70s. But we must keep the biblical balance. The balance of Jesus and, and Paul and the apostles. And I bet most of our conversion stories would include, I I saw that I was destined for hell. I know I was. So we must talk about hell and with, with seriousness and with fear and with tears even. If we forget about hell, we're forgetting about what the cross of Christ is for. To save us from the wrath of God to come. To save us from hell. Jesus didn't die for us just to create good, old, good little obedient people. Christianity isn't a morality school. It is a rescue mission. It is redemption from sin, Satan, and the wrath of God to come. And I know some of us here, we cannot stand to think about a God who would send people to hell. If that's who God is, I don't want anything to do with it. I, I couldn't believe in a God that would send people to hell. And I, I understand on a certain level what you're saying. So what about a God who sent his son to go through hell so you don't have to? How about a God who suffered and drank the dregs from the wrath of God so you don't have to? C.S. Lewis says about all of our objecting to hell, he says, in the long run, the answer to all those who object to hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? You want God to wipe out their past sins and at all costs give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offer them miraculous help? God has done so on Calvary, offered to them. Do you want God to forgive them? They don't want to be forgiven. You see later in the book of Revelation when the lamb is executing his wrath and people cry out, I'd rather have the rocks fall on me than repent and believe in him. He continues, do you want God to leave them alone? Alas, I'm afraid that's what he is doing. That's what hell is. It's 
God removing all of his common grace on people. God removing all the kindness and mercy that he offers in this world, offering time to repent and believe, and God says, okay, I am done giving you this common grace. The Bible isn't a fantasy land. There is grace, there is mercy, but there is wrath and there is justice. There is love, for God so loved the world. And remember, the wrath of God remains. So the wrath of God, this is not Satan's wrath. Hell is not a place where people go so Satan can torment them. No, Satan also will be punished forever in hell. It is the wrath of God, not the wrath of Satan. Either Jesus pays for your sins or you do. This is the reality for every single one of us in this room. Either Jesus pays for your sins once and for all, or you pay for them in eternity. So please look to Jesus. If you haven't looked to him today, look to him dying and paying for your sins on that cross. Do not turn down his offer. Because a day will come when it will be too late. And it is when, as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord or from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Look to him today. Obey the gospels. Paul kind of uses the same language from John chapter 3. What does that mean? What does the gospel call for? It doesn't call for you to be a good person. It doesn't call for you to get your life together and then come to Jesus. It calls for you to, that, to believe that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. It calls for you to believe. Put your repentance and your faith and your trust in him. Hell is the complete absence of the goodness of God. And if you aren't a Christian today, I want to plead with you. Look to Christ. Maybe you're unsure. Maybe you're agnostic. You're like, I don't know how things are going to unfold. Listen, don't, I'm going to beg you, don't roll the dice on your eternity. Do not roll the dice on your soul. You wouldn't gamble away all of your life savings. Don't gamble away your life. You know, some of us, we think, well, I, maybe I, I think all roads lead to God, and I think every path kind of goes that way. And you know what? I, the Bible affirms that all roads do lead to God. All paths lead to God for judgment day. Every Buddhist, every Scientologist, every atheist, every Muslim, every person ever created, is appointed for man once to die, Hebrew says, and then appear before the judgment seat. If you don't believe in Jesus, when you die, you don't go to hell. At least not yet. You go to Hades, to Sheol, the place of the dead. When we think about hell, there's two Greek words the Bible uses to talk about hell. One is the Gehenna, Hades, Sheol, that kind of, the place of the dead. Hell is the lake of fire when we usually think about hell. It's the eternal torment. That hasn't been created yet. Revelation says the lake of fire comes. But now those who don't believe in Jesus, they go into the place of the dead. Sheol, 
Hades. This is why Jesus says in Revelation 1, I have the keys to death in Hades. I'm the one who will open up this gate that could not stop my church. And I will judge everyone in Hades and Sheol. And I will judge all those who rise from the dead. And I will send those who do not know me into the lake of fire. And those who do know me, they will be welcomed into my Father's house with many rooms. As Jesus lays out for us in Revelation 20. The devil who had deceived them, the, the nations, the people, he was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beasts and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. So you see, the devil, he is not in charge of hell. He is tormented there as well. And John says, And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away, No place was found for them. What does that mean? It means no one can hide from this moment. Even the earth cannot hide from him. And I saw the dead. Great kings, rulers, and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Is this what you want to have? Do you want to be judged on what you have done? Or would you rather be judged on what Christ has done? What Christ has done in our place. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, those who have believed in Jesus, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This isn't fantasy land. This is as sure as anything else in the scriptures. The worst thing in the universe is to die twice. And in that second death, you never die. So look to the death of Christ. And you will have died with him. And if you have died with him, you will surely be raised with him into newness of life. And you will be granted security and safety and protection and home with God the Father. Avoiding the second death, you rise with him. You will not be judged according to what you've done, but what he has done. His sinless life. So if you are not a Christian today or you are unsure, I beg you, look to Christ and be saved. And he will welcome you into his kingdom. And Christian, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice in our great Savior that we will not be thrown into the lake of fire. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you went through hell for me so I don't have to. Thank you that you saved me, that you saved a wretch like me. When I was at once without any hope and without God in this world, and I was at enmity with God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places places, so that in the coming ages, 
we might enjoy all the immeasurable riches and mercy and kindness and love with Christ Jesus. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is not of works that any man should boast. Look to Christ. Enjoy what Christ has done for you. This is what it means to be saved. Thank you seems so small to say, but it's right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you saved me. And at the same time, may we be propelled to evangelize. Push forward to tell others that they can look to Christ and be saved. Thank you, Jesus, that you have gone to prepare a place for us. And that in the Father's house, there are many rooms. And that you are coming back to bring us where you are. So come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are ready for the place you've prepared for us. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.